Good morning. Welcome to NSPS Radio Hour. Glad to have you with us today. Uh, today, my guest is a man who needs no introduction, or at least by name. I think probably everybody in the surveying world knows who Gary Candy is. Welcome, Gary. Hello, Kurt. We are travels around the country and the world put you pretty much on everybody's radar, and I'm sure you never hear from any of them after your courses other than the thousands of emails you get. <laughs> yeah, I usually hear from people uh, a couple times a day, typically, with questions, uh, most often on the land title survey standards, but often uh, on other things, and I, I also hear from property owners sometimes who are particularly related to uh, easements when they'll... Right. Uh, yeah. You know, Google something, and maybe my handout has gotten put up online, and all of a sudden I'm an expert in whatever state they're in. And so. Yeah, and speaking of that, I'm I'm a, maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm a bit surprised by the number of inquiries we get on our contact form on the website, where citizens will just write in asking about. Oftentimes, where can I find a surveyor in my area? Or they'll have a specific question about something going on, and are are concerned about how the, you know, what their survey actually reveals, and all that kind of thing. And one of the big ones we get, as you probably would expect, is the whole idea of who can I get to come and do a elevation certificate. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I don't know. Are you aware that FEMA put our website on their form? No, I did con- not know that. They did. Oh, that's they, interesting. They directed people to contact NSPS, um, and I'd written to them. I wanted them to be a little more specific than NSPS because if they send it to the contact form, sometimes we don't see it right away um, because we don't, don't necessarily go check it every day. Um, so I was thinking, well, maybe they should send it directly to my email address or whatever. Uh, but we get probably more of that than anything and uh, one of the things that's really good about getting those kind of requests is or for surveying in general most of the state societies now have a find a surveyor page yes they do so and that's very helpful because then we can direct them to somebody right in in their area that they can find so that works out pretty well. I, I don't know all the ones I've seen at least break it down at the chapter level if not uh, city or town level, so that's helpful for the public. Yeah, definitely. And that, and as you know, we get uh, we get the same thing coming through the American Land Title Association sometimes, where they will yep. have inquiries from uh, property owners or with them probably more typically attorneys and uh, maybe some title people. Right. And speaking of those interactions, are you aware that I guess I'm not telling tales out of school here. Wendy is going to step off of the TMAC this time. And I'm not sure if there was a, a limitation, because she's been there a long time, at least a couple of of, of, of iterations. You know, they, they review it, I think, every five years or something. But she's stepping down. And you know Jim Nadu, I guess. Yes. And Jim's, Jim's volunteered to, we've, we're putting his name up in nomination. I think he'll do a great job. Oh, good, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, you know that that uh, those liaisons are so important, uh, at both at the national level and at the state level. I, I'm sometimes concerned that states don't always appreciate the uh, the need for that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I think so, and you know, it seems so 
uh, intuitive that one would think that way, even if it's with your local chamber of commerce or some service club or some entity in your own town that you can be a part of, and that has a huge impact uh, on on business and on promoting the profession. Right. Um, you know, I'm promoting the profession. Something when I when I go out and do programs, I. I tell surveyors they really ought to be out uh, talking to title companies, talking to uh, attorneys, talking to realtors uh, about. And you know, and then the natural segue into that is is the uh, ALTA and SPS standards. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I tell people I will I'll give them the information I hand out in the PowerPoint if they want to go uh, talk to people. And the PowerPoint actually has uh, talking points. In the notes on it, and uh, I've, I've heard back from you know a number of people who say they used it; it worked really great. So, you know, I really encourage people to do that. That's you know, you and I have talked for years about the fact that I, well, ever since I've been in, involved in ACSM and NSPS, which was 1975, we've talked about the need for you know better. Uh, better public image or, you know, more information out there about surveyors. And, and here we sit, you know, 40-some years later saying the same thing. And, right. Uh, and the thing of it is, it's it's not the kind of thing that anyone can depend solely on an organizational structure to do. I mean, it's just not possible for representatives, even you take our board with its member, one member from every state and then our officers and then our committees and the special groups like, like you're in, um, you, can't, uh, you can't possibly get it done with just those people. Everybody needs to be involved, and that's where we sort of have the difficulty. People get busy, I suppose, and uh, just don't, don't take the time. Yeah, and that's, I mean, you and I both know how much time it can take and, uh, you know, what, what it takes to be invested in it. But, but you know, it's it's hard to complain if you haven't put the effort in. Uh, yeah, that's, that's true, but uh, that's kind of, the, kind of the way things are, I guess. You know, another thing that's kind of cool that we're, we're actually going to have a conference call on this uh, on Wednesday. I'd been contacted... Um, do you know Rob McMillan out in California? Works for yes, I sure he do. used to work for DOT. Yeah. Uh, he'd sent me a message, and somebody out there had come up with the idea of pursuing a Waze app that would alert drivers when there's a survey crew down the road, which I thought was a heck of a good idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we're going to talk about that on our – I'm not sure what all the logistics would be in setting that up. Right? And talking to him, I kind of got the idea it might not be that difficult to do uh, in terms of technical. I don't know how difficult it is to get yourself uh, inserted in there. But if you you know, you create it as a public safety thing, that would be an excellent tool that would certainly help surveyors and uh, oh, yeah. be beneficial to the people driving up down the highway. Yeah, I, I, I like that idea. You know, uh, California is, um, I, I haven't talked with my friends out there uh, lately, um, but I, I have several contacts out there who have been keeping in touch with me on, and, and maybe some of them are listening, they can let me know, on the uh, uh, crew of one issue, <clears throat> or what, what people call one-man crew, uh, and California, the... Uh, I think out of L.A., it's what Operating Engineers Union uh, floated an idea a year or two ago uh, about uh, trying to manage 
crews of one and the safety issues and um and the um and then the state they're kind of their essentially the california osha i believe uh floated a draft of a, a rule and, uh, and you know what it had to do with was uh creating a means by which you could uh, be in contact with people or that they had a means if something went wrong that they could contact the office or contact uh, uh, medical help or whatever if they're on a crew of one and uh, and under certain circumstances you know you you just couldn't do it and this would be in remote areas where you don't have uh, for example cell coverage or that kind of thing uh, yeah. you know that 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 whole idea i think is uh, is a really really good idea the the the, the one person crew you know worries me every day we send people out i worry about that yeah. and it's a, a much more pervasive in some areas than it is in other areas which surprised me i didn't realize in some parts of the country that that people don't do that but in a lot of parts of the country they do and it's it's uh you know it, it ends up being a competitive disadvantage if you don't yeah have you had any um feedback and and all your contact with people on where that tends to work because it, it seems to me that they're they're not only one person crews they're one person companies and so i was just curious if you'd heard whether or not the idea of one person crews was more popular among the smaller companies or or if it matters one way or the other you know i don't uh i haven't got a sense of that i suspect it's more popular uh I, no, I won't say that. I, I suspect, it, suspect it is popular with uh, very small companies, but it's also, I, I know in our area, pretty much everybody's doing it, so large companies, small companies. But I also have found, you know, distinct areas I won't mention, but I have actually been surprised in some parts of the country where I've been, and, and people kind of look at you funny and like, well, no, we're not doing that. You know, everybody right. has a crew, too. And I, I, that yeah. caught me by surprise because I kind of assumed uh, everybody had gotten on that bandwagon just for competitive reasons. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, I know one of the things we want to talk about was, was staffing issues, and and uh, we'll bleed over into the next section of our segment. But I'm sure you hear, as do I, all the time now that technicians are getting harder and harder and harder to find. Um, and so I, I guess that lack of people sort of lends itself maybe to a smaller firm doing the one-person thing. Um, but it also is troubling, I think, moving forward because um, we're in a profession that really can't survive very well without good technicians. No, it's, uh, it's I, I tell people I'm, I'm actually more concerned about the – technician issue than I am about the professional issue at, at this point in time because we can't do without those folks and uh, and that's the problem of course everybody recognized that you know we used to have a, uh, a natural uh, progression you know you'd come in as a rod person and spend a couple years maybe become an instrument operator for a few years and you graduate up to party chief and and now you need that party chief walking in the door right and, uh, and you know, I think companies are deciding they're going to have to uh, kind of retrench a little bit and and start hiring entry level people and training them and you know hoping <laughs> hoping they'll stay. But right. um, you know, I I don't see any other way uh, around that. Even you know the universities uh, that are that are out there are graduating good people, but 
you know their their long term goal and their long term uh, uh, most of, you know most effective position is not uh, out in the field for years and years. Might be out in the field for a, a couple years to make sure they understand everything that needs to go on. But but they're going to move in and you know eventually probably become licensed and. So we still have that. We still have that technician gap, and it's a it's a huge, big issue. Yeah, it is, and it's kind of interesting that we're thirty seconds away from break. So I'll just mention this. Uh, one of the things I hear is um, how important it is to to send the grad graduates out with technicians, so they kind of grasp that side of it because they don't oh, yeah. focus too much on that in their educational process. So it's really important that they get a sense of what the technicians are doing and why and how and all those kind of things. So Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Just yeah. a teamwork kind of thing. But uh, that's really part of the deal. Uh, well, in 10 seconds, we're going to break. So we'll come back and pick up on the staffing thing a little bit more, and then we've got a few other topics we want to talk about during the, sure. during the day as well. So we'll be right back in two minutes. Field books. There is a difference, and the difference is made in the USA by family-owned and operated Bogside Publishing in New Hampshire. For over 38 years, the family business has produced the finest, most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable field books in the land surveying and engineering industry. Demand the best from your supplier, Bogside Publishing Field Books. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not... Get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Gary, we were talking in the first segment about a number of things and activities going on, things we can do to outreach and enhance the profession by letting more people know about what we're doing. And um, Have you heard of this thing called Association of Professional Pipeline Surveyors? I have uh, seen just a little bit about that, but I do not know uh, much at all about it. You know, yeah, kind of I'd who was the driving force or... Yeah, I'd, I'd been alerted to it a while back, uh, actually by Tommy Brooks initially. Uh, and, you know, Tommy works in a company that, that does pipeline work. Um, yes. And and then uh, uh, I got uh, John Green over in West Virginia called me one day and said that they had showed up at their conference and were doing a workshop. And then when I was at the uh, New Jersey conference a month or so, about a month ago, um, they had a booth there. So I stopped and talked to them about what they were doing and collaboration. And turns out that they got started, this whole concept got started through the pipeline companies themselves because they were having trouble getting people who really knew what what they needed to do in pipeline surveying. 
Uh, well, yeah, for mean, all, a, all the reasons you can think of. Yeah, it's uh, a it's a very specialized thing. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So they decided to pursue a certification program that this guy that I ended up talking to was actually impl- or or developing, and they're still developing it actually. And uh, Kim Levitt, our current president. And I had a conversation with him the other day, and we're going to continue dialogue and sharing information back and forth. And I've talked to the people on our CST board and um, about tr- maybe maybe even using one of the models that we have, either the hydro model or the CST model, to see if we can't figure out how to collaborate with those guys to offer something to our members and their employees that somebody else is developing, but is still a an important thing. And, uh, yeah, I think that would be great if we could uh, collaborate with them or, you know, coordinate with them on that. Yeah, because, I mean, it's going to happen um, one, either way. And I don't, if, if, my, if my understanding is correct, when I was talking to, to the gentleman the other day, was they, they really hadn't gone to implementation yet. They were They were talking about more development. And so this idea of finding a way to collaborate on, on implementation and getting into our you know our structure so to speak for that part of it um, I think would be beneficial on both sides yeah I mean it's uh, it's uh, almost an exact parallel with the hydro uh, certification yeah, it is yeah yeah very close very close and, and and again you know on the speaking of that issue um, there's some communication going around and I, I know you and I chatted about it a little bit about this concept of where does hydrography and photogrammetry and geodesy and all the specialty units fit within um, the licensing structure? And uh, I think that's a, an issue that looks like it's going to be raising its head here again pretty soon. Um, and I don't know the answer because I think you know I had, you and I had a little conversation about that in terms of everybody needs to work within their area of expertise, whatever that may be, regardless of what the license says you can do. And uh, and a lot of us who came through the land surveying side of things, uh, I guess we almost had to learn something about geodesy, or we couldn't use our equipment anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But there's other elements that that we don't have specific uh, knowledge in. And I, to me, it's sort of the same kind of thing as there is with the whole getting the certification and pipeline, which is a different entity, but different practice areas within the license need to be supported. But I'm not. I'm not in favor of just going off and creating licenses for those. They're still part of surveying. They're just units within surveying. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know we need to be very careful. They, you know, people doing this sort of thing need to be uh, careful. Of course, everybody has their you know proprietary interests, but we're going to just confuse the public, you know, who's already confused over what we do, and. Uh, um, you know, it would be much better to somehow dovetail those in so that uh, uh, somebody could could make a logical presentation or a logical statement about, well, here's how it works, you know, and, and such that people would say, oh, yeah, I, I can see that that's logical. Not unlike unlike uh, doctors, you know, they all have an MD, but they've got specialties, and uh, and uh, a uh, a dermatologist is most likely not going to uh, do heart surgery. Yeah, and and I think the the hard hard part comes in our licensing structure is one in which we depend upon professionals to work within their area of expertise. 
Um, and so you have a uniform licensing structure rather than a piece-by-piece licensing structure. Um, and, and how you, and of course, all the ones I was that are traditional boundary development, you know, the highways, utility, you know, all those kind of things mm-hmm. uh, that we do on our own or, or with our engineering or architecture friends. Um, we wouldn't want to, to to go to, I, I think, we wouldn't want to go to something that's targeted specifically. you got to do this, you, you know, that kind of thing. Um, maybe we can make it available for those who wanted to do only that thing, but not say, well, okay, you have your license. Now you can't do any of these other things. I still think you have to depend right. on discretion. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, and I. Uh, and that's why I think it's important that it be kind of readily explainable because mm-hmm. uh, you know people won't understand. And you got, as we know, there are some states with tiered licenses and such, and and uh, you know it's got to be it's got to be kind of patently clear to people who they're hiring and and what they're going to be doing because um, we do rely a lot, and I. I um, sometimes I, I sense that we maybe don't do a great job of policing that kind of thing. That that you know, in in, in my state, surveyors can can um, do road and street and storm sewer and sanitary sewer and and stormwater design uh, as long as it's all gravity and uh, in a in a subdivision that we're designing. But I certainly would never tackle that. I haven't done that since 1975 when I was in school. <laughs> Right. And, uh, somebody should file a complaint against me if I if I tried doing that. So, but there's a lot of people uh, who in in our profession who are quite proficient at doing those things. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there are certainly and, people uh, in Indiana who do a lot of that. And uh, and, um, and some states like mine, my Virginia has does have a bit of a tiered license. Um, it's called three A and three B surveyor. But yeah. to get to to encompass all the things you just said, uh, one needs to be licensed. Some of the things you just said that are outside normal surveying, you can do, uh, like open drainage kind of things or uh, piping systems that are not closed, you know, culverts and those kind of things. But if you're going to go the next step, you you got to have the B license. And uh, if I'm understanding you correctly, that that's doable through just the standard license that you have, as long as you have the expertise. Correct, uh, exactly. And I think I believe it is in. Uh Gosh, I think Pennsylvania also. There's a there are a few states that allow that, and and I, I my sense is probably most of them don't. But uh, uh, you know, I, I know that when we have people coming into Indiana uh, trying to get licensed by comedy, uh, a lot of times you know, our exam has uh, engineering design questions on it because it needs to, and a lot of times people applying taking the exam through the comedy process uh, miss every one of those. Um, uh, engineering questions because they just you know probably perhaps didn't realize it was part of the practice and they're going to be going to be uh, examined on it. Right. You know. So I guess sometimes when you go in for that um, that state specific, as I guess everybody refers to it, um, oftentimes it's just, well, do you understand that we actually have laws? <laughs> yeah. You know that, exactly. that kind of thing. But it's not it's not necessarily too technically oriented. So I can see where somebody coming in unaware would say, "Oh my God, what's going on here? How, why do I have to know this?" Right. Right. So, and, and that kind of gets to the whole discussion about you know the idea of the, the cross border practice. You know, we just had an issue in South Dakota where the governor proposed a an arrangement with all the states surrounding uh, adjoining South Dakota. Um, to allow for people to come in and work, I think it was 18 months without 
before they got a license. That 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 actually died. I don't know if you heard how it ended up. Yep. It, it it died in a in a I don't know if it was a committee vote or a or a floor vote, but um, anyway, it, it, it didn't go further. That doesn't necessarily mean it won't come back up again. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, I think you and I were chatting uh, maybe yesterday when we were talking about this that this whole concept of um, licensure as a restriction to progress. Uh, it seems to be gaining some speed, something we need to certainly pay attention to. Yeah, and I, and I think it's important that surveyors, you know, everybody takes things personally, and surveyors shouldn't, shouldn't take it personally because it's, it's not just aimed at surveying by any means. It's aimed at, at almost every license, probably except, uh, except attorneys and, and uh, medical. But the idea that uh, licenses and regulations merely are impediments to people getting a job and having a career, and uh, and there's a lot of, you know, there is a, 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 as you said, we chatted about this yesterday. There's a lot of push on that idea coming from somewhere. I mean, we know that that the administration, uh, the current administration, has uh, those types of thoughts, and I think you see it in. A lot of states also. I don't know where the idea originated. I'm quite certain it came from some think tank somewhere, but it's a little bit distressing when uh, the, the thought is that, you know, well, they've completely lost uh, the, the thought of why there was licensure in the first place, and they're simply looking at it as a job, and the fact that there is a license required is is preventing people from from pursuing those jobs, and they've completely lost sight of the necessity for licensure. I mean, uh, in Indiana, uh, several years ago, there this issue came up, and it comes up every few years. and And the commission that was in charge of looking at all this actually, uh, their their uh, initial recommendation, their draft recommendation, was to eliminate. Uh, engineering licensure. Their conclusion was there really wasn't any any good reason to have engineering licensure. <clears throat> and uh, interesting enough, they, uh, they they did decide surveying licensure was important enough to keep, but engineering was not. And uh, of course, their final recommendation did not say that. But you know that's where their thinking was, and that's uh, it's extremely distressing when kind of the institutional knowledge about why there's licensure in the first place uh, either is forgotten or is lost in favor of simply wanting people to have a job. Yeah, I think to some degree, and by the way, we're a minute or so from break, but I think one of the things that's caused that to happen has been the increase in the number of activities that are requiring a license. Um, and so the People don't see it as as unique necessarily that you need a license to do this as as we all understand engineering, architecture, surveying in particular to be. But people just look at it as a whole and they say, well, there's way too many of those. I, in the South Dakota thing, if I read that correctly, I think there was some maybe between 80 and 100 activities that were licensed. Um, and so I think people begin to look at it more from a perspective of, well, wow, there's just too many of these, and they look at it as a whole, not specifically about what one is for and what the other one is for and how they actually impact the the public. So maybe we can talk about that a little bit more when we come back from break. We'll be, uh, be back in just a couple of minutes. Okay. Quick stakes. 
is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number. 800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Bogside Publishing. For over 38 years, this family-owned New Hampshire business has manufactured the most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable made-in-the-USA field books for the land surveying and engineering industry. And Bogside Publishing is still doing it today. Demand Bogside Field Books from your supplier or go to bogsidepublishing.com for a list of exclusive Bogside dealers. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Boy, we almost got caught talking about grandchildren there, Gary. When <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> the break went fast, and so we were we were compa- not comparing, but reminiscing or uh, discussing, I guess, uh, the, the the joy of being a grandparent and. Uh, and whether we do that from close proximity or far away, as you as you were saying uh, today, far away doesn't mean what it used to mean because yeah, you can for sure. Skype and do all those cool things that that weren't available before. But uh, uh, they they certainly are a blessing, and that, that's for sure. It 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 just makes having a profession that you're in where um, I don't know you have things to share really that that. That isn't necessarily necessarily the norm because there aren't that many of us around. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's kind of fun and to to share and, and enjoy those kind of things with with the kids. But uh, you know, we were talking about the licensing thing before we went to break, and and the whole concept of specialty licensing or not, whichever the case may turn out to be, or whatever's the best way to go. Um, I don't know. Do you hear comments about that in your travels very much? I mean, I know some of your some of your workshops are, are focused on particular activities. I just wonder if you are getting a lot of that. I, I hear a good bit of it, of course. But. I, you know, you, yeah, you do hear it here and there. And, uh, you know, the, especially licensed things is, is is more of an East Coast thing right now. As, as as you know, there are a number of states along the East Coast that that have tiered licenses and such, and you don't see that elsewhere. But, uh, you know, between photogrammetry and uh, and uh, you know the hydrographic stuff and even GIS, you know there's just the kind of splintering of of activities that that can go on and and everybody has their their self interest and and so I think there are it's kind of the it's kind of the other side of what we were just talking about, which is the idea of uh, you know let's have less regulation and fewer licenses and uh, and yet you've got others who are uh, pushing new licenses so I, I I think that at least at the state level, I think that's probably going to pretty much grind to a halt at least in in the red states because uh, uh, you know the opposition to licensing uh, uh, current uh, 
professions, not to mention new ones. I think there's going to be um, a, some pretty rigorous opposition to doing any new licensing. Yeah, that may very well be true. And you know, actually, the thing you just mentioned that about the more specialties in the east than the west. I, I guess I hadn't really focused on that all that much. Um, and, and, but what it pointed out was, even within a board like theirs, like ours at NSPS, where we have members from all across the country, uh, you could see where you'd have trouble, maybe necessarily taking stances or or even the the incentive to address things where you have such a, a diversity. Where, well, if I'm in somewhere out west and they, we don't have all those specialties, then we don't need to talk about that. Why are we even talking about that? Um, so I can see where that would be an issue. Oh, uh, yeah, very much so. And and as you know, we we run into this issue sometimes with the with the ALTA and SPS standards discussions. Even uh, you know, one of the suggestions a year or so ago, uh, I shoot it maybe on my current list. I don't remember. Is that there should be a standard um, uh, legend, you know, a standard icons for standard, for for different things. And uh, and I thought, well, you know, I'll put that on the list because my commitment is to put everything on the list. But but shoot, you can't even get uh, agreement between states on what a power pole is. Not to mention some of the other things. <laughs> so, yeah. in fact, I just saw a survey today that had a different symbol for a for utility pole than what I typically see uh, in Indiana. So. <laughs> Yeah. I was in a meeting of, of, uh, several years ago with another organization talking about surveys, <clears throat> and somebody made the comment. They said, well, well, everybody knows that a utility pole is square and uh, on, on a drawing. And my comment was, um, yeah, I don't think everybody does know that. <laughs> it depends yeah. on what state you're in. I would have thought maybe that was a flower box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it does point out the the differences in the in the way we do things and how how people perceive things, and and I, I think that's I, I don't know if how unique we are as a profession with regard to that in terms of uniformity and and the way people look at things. I, I don't know if architecture and engineering have more consistency if that's the right word or similarity in practice or in perspectives about things um, as we do I, I don't know if you have any opinions about that I, I'm just curious if they do yeah no I've never really thought about that but that's uh, an interesting thing to to uh, to know if engineering plans across the states use the same you know the same uh, legend for different symbols and such I, I do not know I suspect yeah. If there is if there is consistency, is probably more so in the architectural area than otherwise. But I don't right. even know if it's there. Well, and and in a similar way, you look at the other people we deal with. We're now your company and lots of other companies are dealing with clients from all over the country, uh, or the world for that matter, um, and so their perspectives are also going to be somewhat divergent in terms of. What do you mean when you say you're going to do this task? Yes, yeah, and that yeah. makes it so important to be more specific about what you're going to do. Right, which and, is and uh, obviously that's why LTA, ACSN, or NSPS is a good tool. Yeah, well, and you know, it, it reminds me of the of the inquiry we just had a few days ago from one of the major engineering firms who was. Uh, who was looking at, uh, what were they looking at, Kurt? Uh, standardizing some uh, requests for 
surveying services, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and uh, and we directed them to the uh, uh, AIA, the architectural mm-hmm. form that we thought uh, that, that we had had input in, and would seem to be a pretty good starting place, probably for something like that. I think it was a CE one hundred and two form, as I recall. I believe that's right. Yeah, and I, I don't recall having seen correspondence after that. I don't know where it took them or what they were planning to do, um, but it certainly points out that whole issue that. We as a profession have to be aware of, and locally and across the board, and particularly now that we seem to have more more people spreading out, even if it's in even with it in a, a, a state, maybe geographically in a state. And I don't know if that's because they're looking for more work or they have more capability, but it seems to me that you're seeing more of that than just I work in this town and I don't do anything else. Yeah, oh, yeah, very much so. There are certainly some areas of the country where where surveyors pretty much, you know, stay in their immediate vicinity, even in their county. But uh, elsewhere, you know, it's going all over the place. And I, I, I feel fortunate. I tell people all the time, I feel very fortunate, and I know you do, to have been in, literally in every state and to understand some of those differences that, that no, it's not the same in every state. You know, I, I tell people out west, I say, you know, if you go east of Colorado, nobody knows what you're talking about when you say record of survey. And, right. and they're all shocked. You know, people assume that everybody does records of survey. And, like, no, that concept doesn't even exist east of Colorado. And uh, so, you know, just as a, as a simple example, uh, I think it's, it's helpful to have that knowledge that we can kind of help people uh, even, for example, on the NSPS board, uh, because it's so easy for people to talk past each other without realizing that they are. Right. You know, it makes you wonder if if, a, if an effort to uh, create a, a dictionary, for lack of a better term, uh, of terms themselves. I mean, you know, we have a, a, a definitions book, but that definitions book was written by people who have a particular perspective. <laughs> so um, it, it just raises the thought in my mind about, wow, would it be worth some kind of effort to get some uniformity in how we describe things? And one of the reasons I think about that, I've been involved for the last two or three years with a couple of international groups, uh, one of them called the International Property Measurement Standards Group. And, and what they focus on is not how you measure. They talk about what you measure. So if you're if you're going to say I'm going to buy a condo in Hong Kong and it's and the square footage is X and okay well what does that mean does that the living space is that all the does it count the closets does it count the the decks I mean apparently there's been a quite a diversity around the world and and what people are defining when they say a certain thing oh and yeah so this, sure that's uh, yeah. So this international standard was intended to, and, and seems to be doing a pretty good job, or at least an acceptance from other countries, of saying, okay, when when we say this under these standards, this is what we're talking about. Um, yeah, so I, I I, you know, that sort of thing I think is, is necessary. It's, you know, the, the International Right-of-Way Association has, has chapters across the globe. Uh, you know, they've got chapters in Africa and, and, uh, and elsewhere, and when you start... Uh, you, you know, you start using terms like that. I think it'd be very important to have some sort of standardization, at least. So, so in this group, when we use this term, it means this. Yeah, 
exactly. And and as you just pointed out, when you're talking to the next group, it might mean something else. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, that kind of collaboration, I think, whether it were internationally or or even across the country, uh, I think might be helpful because just because of this whole mobility thing that we all seem to have now and people well even your take your company for example you've got offices in several states and uh, different parts of the country mm-hmm. yeah we've, we've got an office in houston an office in uh in charlotte and certainly what goes on in the in the practice of of surveying is pretty distinctly different in in some cases uh, how you approach and what you need to do and and uh yeah, it's it, it's important that people recognize that. Otherwise, I don't think they can be successful when they jump out somewhere else. They're going to have have some problems. Right. So I guess since you have an office in Charlotte, when I moved back to the Blue Ridge Mountains on the Virginia North Carolina border where I grew up, um, I'll have to agree to drive two hours each way from where I'm going to be living to get to Charlotte, so you can give me a job. Yeah, well, you know that that goes right along with the uh, with what I'm hearing, and I know you're hearing. Every single place you go all across the country is is the uh, is the lack of uh, uh, you know talent out there to, for lack of a better term, lack of people to hire in surveying. So, yeah, when you move back down there, give me a shout and uh, we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, between. Uh raising the cattle with my grandson like we were talking about <laughs> and and keeping the bed and breakfast my wife wants to run going i'm not sure how much time i'll actually have well you know i, I may need that four hours a day I, just to... <laughs> I was gonna say you may want to ride a cow down to charlotte <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that that might be the thing to do but and you did you guys you had an office in nashville at one time didn't you Yes, we did. Yeah, unfortunately, that was right before the recession. And, right. Uh, you know, of course, uh, we know how what happened to just about everybody in the in the recession. Yeah. yeah. Well, believe it or not, we are ten seconds away from our last break, so let's go do that. When we come back, I want to talk about this topic you brought up about companies reviewing each other's work. That's kind of intriguing to me. Okay, sure. We'll be back soon. Quick stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick stakes, your back friendly stake. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? Field books. If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Field books. There is a difference, and the difference is made in the USA by family-owned and operated Bogside Publishing in New Hampshire. For over 38 years, the family business has produced the finest, most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable field books in the land surveying and engineering industry. Demand the best from your supplier, Bogside Publishing Field Books. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
think David said we're back on back on the air, so that's good. Yeah, and, and as we were saying when when we uh, came back on, that that whole idea of defining things in a way that everybody understands what everybody else is talking about, um, even in even in our internal discussions, because it's really easy to not focus on what you're talking about, and somebody else is going to have an entirely different perspective on what what you're referring to. Right. I think, you know, that's something that I work really hard on because I end up talking to attorneys and title people and and right-of-way people and, you know, realtors and all kinds of people. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that's happened to me uh, twice in the, in the last year, talking with attorneys and just tossing around a word that we surveyors all understand, which is monument, and having the attorneys, you know, in two different times, you know, explain what you what are you talking about when you say monument? You know, like a, is that like a tombstone or something? <laughs> and I, you right. know, it struck me that they they you know they have a different idea. When and I said, well, actually, a monument could be a wooden stake. I mean, it could be anything. And so, um, and so you you know you become cognizant of the of the need to be very careful in explaining what you're doing. It's kind of like testifying in court. You know, we're, we're not in court to show people how smart we are. We're in court to try and help the, the trier of fact, which is either a judge or a jury, understand a technical issue. So if, we, if all we do is speak, uh, you know, survey speak, uh, we're going to look pretty smart, but we're not going to be very helpful. So it kind of goes in that same vein. Right. Maybe we need to develop a... Uh a definitions book on land surveying language for non-surveyors or, or yeah, even among surveyors for that matter. Yeah, yeah that actually uh, not be a bad idea. Yeah, that's. I'm, I'm not sure how we would pull that off, but it's, it's, I think it's a worthwhile endeavor. Yeah, yeah, I believe it would. Just be. so we, just so we're understood. And, and again, going back to the whole um, LTA and our NSA, ALTA and SPS thing, um, you are working with people who aren't in your area, even if the people in your area understood exactly what you meant, that lawyer you're talking to in California probably won't. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, in addition to, again, the, the state differences where uh, a number of states require that monuments be set or found and a number of states do not require that. Mm-hmm. And you end up talking to attorneys you know, who may say, well, I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to pay for the monuments. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but in this state, you have to pay for them because we have to set them. Right, so, and, and that's you know. always something that surprised me when I've heard about that. I I can't imagine there not being a requirement when you are marking a boundary line that you either find and identify existing corners or you set them where required. <laughs> that's just such a strange concept to me. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it is to me too, and and of course in in, in Talking to ALTA uh, a number of years ago, you know, why in the world is uh, is is our monuments optional on a land title survey? And and then you find out that on the West Coast, for example, in the in the San Diego or in the um, in the Bay Area, uh, setting a monument that would trigger uh, recordation or preparation, recordation, and review of a, of a record of survey can can double the cost of a mm-hmm. survey. Yeah. And uh, you know, so uh, we can say that's kind of wacky, but but that's that's how it works. And so right. you know, you have to acknowledge that and and accommodate uh, those those varying practices and laws. And 
speaking of that and talking how we do things differently, um, when we were chatting before, you were telling me about um, an, an exercise that's happening where companies are getting together or representatives of companies are getting together and reviewing each other's work. Is that something they're doing routinely? or? Yeah, I think uh, and I was in uh, El Paso last fall to do a, a seminar on the uh, on the standards, among other things, um, and it was a it was a joint um, a joint seminar between the uh, the chapter of uh, Texas uh, Society of Professional Surveyors out in the El Paso area and the uh, and the New Mexico chapter, which is right there uh, within you know very close proximity. Right, and I. I think it was uh, the folks in El Paso said that they, when they have a chapter meeting, that one of the one of the members will is assigned to bring in a bunch of copies of a recent survey, and they pass it out, and and then you know he goes over it and talks about what they ran into, what they, you know, what problems they had, what uh, what interesting things, and then they talk about. Uh, and I, I think that's a spectacularly good idea. Uh, to help, you know, it's kind of a, for those who are younger, a mentoring thing, and um, and and for those who even have been around, to it, it can help illuminate what the normal standard of care is when we right. talk about. Well, oh gosh, I didn't. You do that? Oh, well, yeah, everybody does that. You didn't know that? You know, uh, that sort of thing can get you in trouble. So I, I thought it was just a, a really good idea uh, to do something like it. it. Takes a lot of trust, and then and. Um, but I think I, I think uh, when a, when a chapter got into doing that, it would become uh, kind of a welcome thing because we all everybody's kind of curious as to what other people do, not from a competitive standpoint, but you know a normal standard of care or a, a difficult situation. I mean, I get calls frequently from people here in Indiana with. Uh, you know, who've had some sort of issue they've run into, and they're trying to figure out. You know, well, what what do you think I should do? You know, what what do people do when they have situations like this? And uh, I try to give them as good a guidance as I can. But gosh, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, and, and you think about that uh, when when people ask about what's the standard of care. Typically, the answer is whatever I believe it is. I mean, you yeah. don't say that, yeah. but. But that's the only way you can answer. It's, this right. is what I think it is. So I could see where something like this, where you have people getting together and and coming to some conclusion, some conclusions, um, uh, that would be really good. I think in terms of developing a a, a standard that everybody uh, abides by and, and agrees upon, and of course, your local standard of care can't just say, "Well, we're going to ignore everything the state tells us." <laughs> but yeah, but at least in terms of how you look at things, how you interpret things, what it means when somebody puts something on a drawing, um, that that type of thing. Yeah, I think uh, I, you know it, it. It'd be good for the profession. It would provi- provide some mentoring. It would provide some probably some standardization. I mean, you'd have to be careful about you know discussions about fee and that sort of thing, obviously. Sure, yeah. But but uh, but that's not you know that's not what it's about. Anyway, uh, uh, right. just, uh, I, I think for the for the public to have uh, have some, I, I think they have an expectation that there is consistency uh, in in what they would be getting from any registered surveyor, and I, I think it would be good for us to actually deliver on that type of consistency. I don't think yeah. we always do. 
I, I agree. I, I think that would be a, a great tool to have because, in reality, unless you have something like that, or at least you, if you don't have these discussions like these guys are doing, you you really don't know. And you know, I always think back to years and years ago. I was asked to do a survey, and I think it was in Alexandria, which is not the easiest place in the world to work. And uh, the guy was from some other state, and he gave me the information. I did some some research and came up with. Uh, my plan for how I would do the work, and and I gave him a cost, and he called me back and said, "Well, I've talked to this other guy, and he's going to do it for like I don't know, two thousand dollars less or something." And I said, "That's great. I mean, this guy's really going to give you a great job, I'm sure. But before you hire him, why don't you do this? Take this list of questions and ask if he's going to do these things." Mm-hmm. And I gave him a list of what was included, and probably a month later, he calls me back and he says, uh, "I want you to do that work for me." And I said, "Why?" The other guy. Was going to give you a better deal and he said yeah but he wasn't going to do all those things so <laughs> so uh, just to, just the point that if if there's an understanding among people that when somebody comes to our community they can expect this level of service from any of us yeah yeah and and that's what you know that's one of the good things about a well-written set of standards you know that they are achievable from the from the surveyor standpoint, they can, you can certify that you met the standard, and uh, and if everybody's on the same page, then then you know then you can be talking apples and and apples, and, I, and that's that's so important. I you know I had somebody call me uh, not too long ago and, and had said uh, you know hey as a as a rule change in Indiana on on providing a plat, and I said no you you know you do a boundary survey you got to draw a plat. Uh, how come? And he said, well, I gave a price to somebody for doing a survey and then came back and, and somebody else was going to do it for, you know, 25% of what my fee was. And uh, I got asking questions, and the guy said, oh, no, that, this guy told me if I want a plat, you know, that was going to increase the cost. <laughs> well, 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 unfortunately, you know, the the client, prospective client, had no idea that, that uh, no, actually that's supposed to be included for the surveyor to one charge extras. Uh, should be or should be a complaint filed against them, right? Yeah, and that's that's the whole point is that not only among surveyors themselves, but so that there's clarity for the for the general public. So when they talk to people, they they won't know the difference. So it's incumbent on the professionals, I think, to have some consistency. Yeah, which actually you know uh, loops all the way back to uh, uh, some of the licensing. You know, there's a um, actually, there's a bill in Indiana uh, before the House of Representatives in Indiana today that <clears throat> is going to. Uh, it does a number of things, and I don't know exactly where it came from, but it it was going to create a special path for veterans, you know, to be able to get licensed in some some way. And I I think that was in there. There was also a, a thing in there about well, if you're a convicted uh, criminal then you had to you know provide that information and then the board you know would decide if if you could go ahead and get licensed and this wasn't just surveying this covers a whole slew of boards uh but then i uh, the way i read it there was one piece in there that said uh was going to prevent boards from issuing cease and desist orders uh cease and desist orders uh against unlicensed practice uh for over a year and um, I thought, well, that that didn't sound like the greatest idea I ever heard of. 
Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I guess if you had a, a criminal record and you can't get a license, then you just go practice anyway, and they can't do anything about it for a year. I, I, I really didn't understand where that was coming from, and, and maybe I was misreading it, but I don't think so. Um, but that's, you know, that's uh, the type of anti-regulation, uh, you know, blanket, I guess, of throwing a blanket over all regulation, saying everything's bad. Uh, yeah, and, and, and certainly understand the, the, the thought process behind do we really need licenses for everything. Um, and, and again, we've had, you know, in the beginning of the discussion, we talked about that. Maybe, maybe not. Depends. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly something that that's as important as dealing with land ownership and title rights and all those kind of things. That's a pretty important part of our fabric as a as a nation. So you don't want to be don't want to get caught up in that trend. No, and I, you know. Um I've written some stuff before to try and help uh, educate people about boundaries because that's really what we're talking about when we talk about protecting the public and you know the land tenure system and and you know who 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 knows about boundaries and how how much a a uh, uh, democratic society you know re- relies on private ownership of property and and all that kind of thing and and you know what you constantly run into is someone who you know who held a rod for indot back in high school so they they know all about surveying and believe it or not uh, we're at the end of our time even our extended yeah. time so well, as usual gary thanks for being with me it's always a great conversation when you're on the show with it, me. i appreciate it, it. it, it it's a pleasure kurt and uh, hopefully everybody got something today and we'll look forward to the next time sounds great take care thanks We're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the